Welcome everyone to another episode of Kiwi Talks. My guest today has been developing games for over 25 years, quite a long time. He's worked on prestigious game franchises such as Destroy All Humans, Halo, and Star Wars. I'd like to welcome Kevin Schmidt. How you doing? Hello. Good. How are you doing? It's 25 Good. years. It's, uh, 25 it's, uh, years. Yeah, it ages 25 me 25 years a lot. young? Or 25 yeah, yeah. years old. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think in game development, 25 years is like 100 years, I think. You know, it's it's a it's a long time. There's very few of us around anymore that have been in the game industry for that long. Well, it's going on, what, 27 years, 28 years now? So. Wow. But yeah. does it feel like you've been developing games for that long? Or does the time uh, just fly by? <laughs> yes and no. Um, there are, like, the first 10 years were at LucasArts. And that flew by. That was... Like that was my introduction to the industry. That was when the industry was really starting to like develop and like FPS became a thing. You know, like we didn't have names for all the stuff we were doing. It was mostly uh, PC. It was it was such a crazy time. Uh, and then at the same time, like the movies were starting to be developed. The new the the prequels were starting. So it, like all that stuff just flew by. Uh, and then there's been some you know there's been some time like halo infinite was a long production cycle and i, I felt that that was seven <laughs> years uh, uh but now uh I, I can't say much i'm an epic now but uh it, time is flying by there it is uh again i can't really say what i'm doing but yeah. it's been such it's such a different experience from anything that i've ever done before and uh yeah and it's it, time is flying by it's great it's um, so yeah I, I i don't i don't know what else i would be doing like I, I really don't. So I, I'm going to keep doing this till, till as long as I can. So, Good yeah. man. Good man. Well, yeah. that's, what, that's what you want, right? A job where you're that passionate all the time. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think, you know, video games is one of the reasons why, why I got in. I mean, the, 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 the creation of video games, there's always a new challenge. Again, especially at LucasArts, it was like, you know, I worked on an FPS, I worked on a flight sim, I worked on an RTS. And again, all that stuff, had I had never done that before. Um, you know, and so it was like, it was always something different. It was always learning new things. And and the, the, the thrill of doing a different thing and a different challenge. And even inside, you know, I worked on three Halos. And even then it was, it was different with each iteration of the, of the Halos. So it was like doing different stuff. And so that's that constant challenge and that constant pressure to sort of uh, reiterate on stuff and, and perfect stuff. It was, it's, it just keeps what keeps me going all the time. It's, it's, i I love it. I find it thrilling and fascinating and yeah. Yeah. Always being on the cutting edge of stuff. Is yeah. there something in particular that's changed dramatically from the time that you started in the industry to now? Like what, is there one fundamental oh, change or is there just so much? <laughs> There's so, I think, I think now it's the, it's the size and the speciality, I think. It was like, again, dating, but I started in 95 uh, at LucasArts and I was a designer. My background was in architecture and I, I moved out. Uh, <laughs> I graduated and like packed up my car and I was like, I'm going to get a job at either ILM doing effects uh, or uh, I think that, or like I kind of knew about LucasArts because I played a little bit of X-Wing and so I was like, I'm going to try to get a job at one of these things. And, but again, my background was in architecture. So I thought I'd have a better shot at like building models and set design and stuff. And so when I got out here or got, I got out to California, I basically wrote a letter a week for like three months to all the Lucas companies and sent my portfolio. I spent like my life savings on portfolios and 
this was back when I had to go to uh, like Kinko's and rent a computer and print out a bunch of stuff. So I spent so much money like doing portfolios. I had a stack. They So <laughs> it's funny. If you applied back then, you got a little three by five card that said like, thanks, but no thanks on it. And I used to have a stack like this big of all my, you know, rejection letters from all the, from Lucas Digital, Lucasfilm and LucasArts. Uh, but like, I just got a call out of the blue one day from LucasArts uh, and the HR woman was like, hey, uh, I remembered your name from the stack of resumes and we're looking for someone with an architecture background to come in and help us design levels for uh, a game we're doing. And that turned out to be Outlaws. And they were looking for someone who had an understanding of how to make and create Old West style buildings and towns in, uh, we were using AutoCAD at the time actually. Uh, and so that's kind of what got me in. Uh, but when I got onto that project, uh, not only did, was I like designing the towns either in like in mostly in 2d, uh, cause AutoCAD is a 2d program. So we had to kind of like visualize how it would be 3d and then, um, kind of like suggesting how the whole level should be laid out, but I was texturing things. Uh, I was placing the enemies. I was helping write the script. I, back then we did everything, everything involving the game we were a part of i yeah like i said i helped write the script i did the the we did we had an in-house uh programming language that was like c light that we used so we were programming all that stuff we were i don't i didn't make art and i didn't make sound but i placed all the art on the walls and the floors and the ceilings we put in the sound effects uh we you know we were helping write ai for the the bad guys and outlaws so we we did everything and you know, now when people ask, I get a lot of people who ask me like, hey, how do you get into the industry? And I'm like, well, it's, a, and they're like, I want to design games. You're like, okay, that's great. But it's kind of like the film industry now. You really should find a lane. Like, do you like lighting? Because that could be a thing. Do you like building weapons? Because that could be a thing. Do you like creating creatures? That could be, a, do you like controlling the creatures? You know, is, is, is your passion encounters? Like there's so many specialities now. And again, a lot of companies like don't, there's no standard, I think, in the industry. So you say like, I'm a narrative designer. Well, what does that mean? Do you actually like write the narrative or do you hook the narrative up into the levels? I don't know. What is that? And like, what is an encounter designer? Do you create the enemies or do you put the enemies in and 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 figure out the combat? So yeah, I think that's the biggest change and the size, uh, obviously with that comes the size of the teams. Like it, I think at peak, I want to say we were around 500 people and peak halo times so of like how many people were working on the game. And that, that includes like PR and, and like everybody working on halo was about 500 people, but those teams were huge. And we made, you know, you go back and look at the credits for like outlaws and it was like, uh, you know, five designers, like three programmers <laughs> and like four artists and a couple of animators. It was a handful yeah. of people. Uh, so it's a huge difference now. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of like, like an indie game, right. Can, can get away with that stuff. But as, as you're going triple a, you need to get those large teams, uh, you know, we well, just, they're getting, so that's, that's the biggest difference. They're getting so large now, right? I mean, the average triple yeah. a game is what six, sometimes seven years just to make one game now. Yeah. Depending yeah. On the scope of it. Right. Right. And obviously you have a little bit, you know, less time if you're going for the sequel, uh, you know, but I mean, even look at like, uh, you know, breath of the wild, the tears of the kingdom. That was a long time. Yeah. They made a bunch of iterations, but like it's still, you know, still a long time between those two things. And like I was looking at uh, 
I was looking at I was looking at uh, company size the other day, and I think like Bungie has what fifteen hundred people, and I was like, oh my gosh, like like I remember when they were just like four hundred people, you know. Obviously, they're I think they're working on multiple multiple projects, but still, it's like studio sizes and team sizes are so huge now. That's a that's a huge difference. Because didn't you pump out Rogue Squadron in nine months? Nine months? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. It was that, so it was right after. Uh, so that was my third project. So I did Outlaws and the Mysteries of the Sith, and then Rogue Squad. Like immediately after Mysteries of the Sith shipped, uh, I th I think most of the other design team went on vacation, and Mark HH I, I hate Hutchinson, um, like came up to me with the the he had. I feel bad. I think he was a little embarrassed because he had a design doc, but it was like <laughs> it was so bare. It was like six pages, and the first page was. It was basic. It was something super basic, like a, a flight sim game using Star Wars vehicles. And then, like, you flip it over, and it's like mission one: attack mission. Player flies vehicle in attack area. Mission two: defend mission. And he had no like context to those things, and he's like, "So, can you help me?" <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, "Yeah, okay. Like, we could totally make this into a game." So I like spent, uh, you know, I spent like two. I had, I used to have. Uh, like two bookshelves behind me full of like pretty much every written material at Star Wars at the time, like all the West End games source books and the Rogue Squadron books and comic books were coming out at the same time. So I had a bunch of stuff. And so I spent like two weeks just, and everybody was out of the design pit that we were in. And I just kind of displayed everything out and was like putting names and planets and stuff and trying to connect them. And it was actually, it was supposed to be Rogue 2 because, or Rookie 2, because Rookie 1 was from Rebel Assault. And so I was like, okay, well, let's just do it. Rogue Squadron. It wasn't Rogue Squadron at the time. So I was like, well, you know, Luke's like, let's do Luke as the character. Let's use Rogue Squadron because all this is from the movies. And let, let's center it around this thing that already exists instead of some sort of, you know, generic pilot that kind of fit in the Star Wars universe. So, yeah, I, I did that in like two weeks and then uh, basically got the band back together the uh, most of the same crew from the designers from mysteries of the sith uh with a couple of new additions and yeah we just it, it it was so we worked with factor five on that they had the technology they had um the terrain mapping thing and uh and all the tech and all the engine stuff and we basically like built the levels for that and it was i i hate using the word passion because a lot of a lot of leadership and and people use the word passion as almost like a cudgel to get you into going to to crunch mode, right? You don't have the passion for it. You're not staying late. But <laughs> all these guys had, all these guys, my team had a, a a passion and a fire to just build this stuff. And a lot of us didn't have families back then, uh, so like we were there for 12, 16 hours a day, right, wow. sleeping under our desks and stuff. And yeah, it. I, I don't know if I could ever do that again. I don't know if anybody could ever do that again we somehow pulled it off uh it was an amazing feat uh the i did the art team was strapped i had we had a lot of you can, i don't know if paul remembers this but there were a lot of meetings that we that were pretty stressful because we were we had we wanted we need like we needed mission critical objects to be built and and they wanted to build like cool other things. And I'm like, no, 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 you gotta like, we can't have this mission without this thing. And they're like, we want to build a Corellian Corvette. I'm like, I don't need a Corellian Corvette, I need all this stuff. <laughs> um, so there was and and it we we just had to go, 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 go and like make those decisions. And Mark, 
Mark is like the was he passed away. Uh, it, it, the he was the nicest human on the planet. The guy I've heard could, that. Regularly. Yeah, he could de-escalate any situation. Such a sweetheart, and one of his strengths was understanding what he didn't know. Right, and again, and, and when I talked about the beginning, when he came to me, he knew he wanted to make a fl a, a flight sim game, a, a flying game. And he was a hundred percent passionate about the 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 well, I would say the three C's, but it's not a, the, the camera control and character, but character is your X wing, right? Um, he was all in on that, and he just that he he lit up when he talked about flight control and like getting the uh, I don't know if you remember playing it that like the multiple reticle thing about how we, we we struggled with that for the longest time, and I remember him like coming up with the idea and and coming out of his office and he was just like glowing like i think i got it but that's he that was his bread and butter he loved doing that stuff but he also understood what he didn't know and he didn't know the star wars universe as much as we did and so that's why you know he he leaned on us for that expertise and so he was he was always able to like soak up all the information and then make a call so at a critical time on that project multiple critical times we had there was already a difficulty with working with Factor Five. They were off, they were close, but they were offsite, right? They were like a car ride, a five minute car ride away, and we didn't have Zoom back then, so we either had to be on the call or like run over to their office if there was something critical. And we would do that regularly. We'd drive down there and have meetings and like go over stuff. Um, but like you know, there were times like I remember one time uh, we talked about a mini map and like we weren't going to get a mini map, and we were like, okay, we'll just move on without it. And then like two days later, it showed up. And we were like, well, we didn't design anything. Like, we don't know how this is supposed to work. And it was this huge, it, it, it was, it, you know, it was a good thing to have in the game, but we didn't discuss how it was going to be integrated. And it just threw everybody for a loop. And Mark came in and like settled everything. And we had a meeting. We talked about what the design needs were and what the engineering needs were. He just had a way of de-escalating everything. He would just kind of like, and I think it was just his extreme calmness that when you were around him, you just kind of like, just like felt really calm because he was always even keel. Like he never raised his voice. He was, he was just, he was a, the greatest person. I, I extremely sad that he's no longer with us because he, I sure he would have gone on to do great things, but yeah, he was, he was an awesome leader. Uh, I miss him a lot. And yeah, I think you talked to, I think Kynan worked with him. Did you talk with Kynan a while back? I think he worked yeah, with him. Yeah. Maybe. Kynan, Kynan yeah. Kind of worked with him on uh, Metroid prime two. And, yeah, uh, yeah. I, yeah. I think like and, everybody, anybody who knows him will say the same thing. He's just yeah. the, the kindest, most gentlest person. He's he's all awesome. The, all the Retro Studios guys have nothing but good things to say about him. Yeah, and yeah, he was he guy. was a necessary uh, in terms of the input. Like he's he's the reason like the the morph ball camera, the camera system works. Exactly. So, wow. Yeah. His yeah. he loved camera, <laughs> and I think I don't know. I've worked with a lot of project leaders in my time, and I don't know if anybody could have weathered it as well as he did, uh, and 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 gotten the result that that he did. Right? I think there could have been people who like were like drill sergeants and really got us moving, but I don't know if we would have had that passion again to deliver that product for him because he was just so enthusiastic about the whole thing. It and goes yeah, to show was, how I was going to say it just goes to show how important leadership is. Yeah, right? yeah. In terms definitely. of the morale that, of the team. Yep, yep. And again, I think one of the one of the lessons, one of the key lessons I learned from him, again, was was understanding what you don't know, and that's that's why you surround yourself 
with the people who understand those things. And, you know, he brought me in for my knowledge of gameplay and Star Wars. And like, and then I brought a team of designers who I trusted who knew how to deliver this thing. And he went to Paul because Paul was, you know, an excellent artist. And there was another another Paul Zinnis who, you know, he went to for doing a lot of the model making stuff. And so he, he surrounded himself at, at that time. Well, I should say like, so let me backtrack. So LucasArts, we always had about three or four projects in development and various stages of development at the same time. Uh, again, because the teams were so small and I think we were, you know, we were back then we were probably like 300 people, but we had like six or seven projects. So people were coming off and onto projects at different times. So it was like a project leader's, you know, uh, fantasy because they could be like, okay, I know so-and-so is coming off that project and they did really great things. And so I'm going to take them when they come off the project. And so he was able to pull a lot of really great people who shored up his weaknesses and, you know, just use that to his advantage and, and was super diplomatic about when we had those points of contention and those, you know, dust ups, he, he was able to come in and be like, okay, I've heard everybody. This is the direction we're going. And we all were like, okay, got it. I felt heard, felt respected. You're making a decision. And now we go down that lane. And yeah, he, he, he was awesome. How does that work though? When you're uh, working on multiple projects at once, wouldn't you start to get confused about? Well, so not, I, I should, it was. It wasn't me who was working. Well, so oh, we, okay, you not you yeah, personally, but other people right, so, within within the umbrella. Yeah, yeah. So when I, when I started LucasArts, I was the was double. We we used to have a um, we used to have a thing called the LD roster. I think I have it on my computer somewhere, which is a list of all the LDs. And so I was 004. I was the fourth designer hired at LucasArts. Uh, and so you know, by then we had maybe thirty designers. And like five were on Rogue Squadron, five were on a different project, so five were on another project. And we had a design manager who, uh, you know, would like watch our career paths and stuff. And so then what a, when, like I said, when, when Mysteries of the Sith was done uh, and shipped, a lot of those guys went on vacation. I'm trying to, I think, uh, so yeah, there was like, so Tim Longo was on that project. And then uh, Hal Barwood, asked Tim to be lead on the indie project that was ramping up, uh, Infernal Machine, I, I think that's the name of it. So like Hal was starting up a new project, Mysteries of the Sith finished, Hal went to Tim, Mark came to me, you know, so like at the, so that the project leaders could be like, okay, I see that group of designers is finishing up, I'm gonna take these guys and Mark's gonna take these guys. So that's that's kind of how it worked. So we were like almost never had downtime because as soon as we were done, yeah, so like, we went from Outlaws. I did Outlaws. We went Outlaws to immediately to Mysteries of the Sith, immediately to then Rogue Squadron. And then we did, we worked on, uh, um, gosh, what was next? Obi-Wan. So we did a, we did a bunch of exploration. We were doing Obi-Wan for the PC and we worked on that for about a year and a half. The Xbox was uh, just like, announced and so and we were having a lot of problems with the obi-wan and and the pc version of it and trying to get a game up and running from it and then so they, they said like okay we're going to turn this into an xbox project uh what do you guys want to do because there's another game ramping up and that was battlegrounds so i was like okay i'm going to take a break i'm going to go do galactic battlegrounds and then so another group of designers went and did the xbox version of obi-wan and then after and 
after uh, uh, towards the end of Galactic Battlegrounds, they're like, hey, we need a lead for Republic Commando. As soon as you're done with that, can you go to Republic Commando? And I was like, okay. So I was never on multiple projects at the same time, but it was always like, there were always different, you know, there was like a bunch of different projects in development at the same time. So no downtime. So basically you just jump from one to the next. <laughs> Pretty, Pretty much. much. And again, in rapid I, I succession. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, uh, you know, I was, uh, well, I was dating my wife at the time we were on Rogue Squadron. And so I remember like I would come home at like two in the morning. I would never see her for most of the time. But <laughs> she, she actually worked at LucasArts as well. She was in the finance department. Um, so she understood what game development was always about. So she didn't, that, she that wasn't helps. like, yeah, yeah. She wasn't like, oh my gosh, I'd never see you. She's like, I know, I know I'll see you sometime. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it, it was, it was a, it was awesome. It was a fun ride. I, I, I kind of wish there was another studio like LucasArts because uh, I think there were a lot of advantages to it. But again, I don't know if you could do that now. I don't know if you could have that structure. Uh, It'd be pretty difficult, I'm, sh I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I saw, like, because I've seen some of the designs because you posted them on Twitter on the on the graph paper, your early level designs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, have a, yeah I have a notebook yeah, yeah. over here. Is that still a way to map out a level these days is that still a method that people use or is it all digital well that so that was very unique to uh that was very so that, was that for that was for battlegrounds i think that i post those for there, there's one i think there's one for mysteries of the sith there was one for rogue squadron and i think battlegrounds as well yeah you oh a yeah number of, so a number of them well okay, i should say like how we develop like when we made outlaws it was just Again, we were it was in, it was using AutoCAD, which was all two D, and we had to sort of we would define the spaces and then type in like how many meters high things would be. So it was extremely hard to like gray box that. We just had to basically build it and then tweak it from there. With Mysteries of Sith, we were using the Leia engine, and uh, so that was and that was it. It was a very easy engine to like uh, build rough shapes in and stuff uh, with rogue squadron so we we used um oh gosh what was that called i want to say it was called bryce which is like a uh you you took like a a black and white picture and fed it into bryce or whatever i think it was that was the name of it and then it like created a terrain map based off the the gradation from white to black so like white was the lowest points and or it was the other way around. I think black was the lowest points and white was the highest points. So we so we just basically so that was the entire terrain that we were working on for Rogue Squadron. And so it was just as 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 easy as opening up a bitmap and you know pushing some pixels and then like hitting a button and converting that and then boop it popped up and there's your terrain. And the you know the terrain wasn't a besides a few levels the terrain wasn't super important in in. Like, you know, you just had to have a flat area, but most of the rocks and stuff, it like, wasn't that important. And then um, what did we, we switched to, I think we went to Maya to build the PC version of Obi-Wan. And that was, we, we were learning the package at the same time we were building the tool. So like, we didn't really, I, I remember building the, um, the conference room, the hangar and the conference room of the Federation ship and the feed hangar for like a test level. And the, the feed hangar, I was building it movie accurate. And so there's like a billion polys. It was a lot of fun. Uh, 
but like we didn't really gray box that and because again we were testing a bunch of stuff um so yeah i don't know if that answers your question it's it's it, it was all very unique to the particular game we were working on and the and then i think i posted maybe some wireframes from uh republic commando which was built on unreal so and and you know unreal is pretty easy to to build spaces with so with republic commando i've always wondered this but um but was the hud at all was there any influence from metroid prime i know metroid prime came out in like 2001 i think it was or was it 2002 and then republic commando came out in 2005 but i just remember the huds looking very similar yeah yeah i think um you'd probably have to ask tim directly but i'm pretty sure he was influenced by uh by metroid prime i know Again, that was another point of like contention of like trying to get you into the the character yeah. and having so much stuff on screen versus like really trying to like pull back. And I mean, we had the same thing with Halo with like how much is too much on your HUD, um, and that yeah. But I, I'm pretty sure it was influenced. I, I I I'm like almost positive that he was referencing that when we were we were building that. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, how do you find it going from like something like rogue squadron to something like republic commando where the genre is completely different right <laughs> well I, I again it was awesome because i had never built a flight sim i don't I, I, i'm not sure what you would call rogue squadron as a flight sim i guess it's the closest thing but i'd never on, rail, built on rails flight on shooter. rail yeah yeah flight yeah. shooter and, which yeah so I, i'd never built anything like that before and so it was a it was a learning experience and there are different like design principles that you you come up with and create when designing a game like that versus you know an FPS and I'd done the FPS stuff before um, and then you just kind of build upon that. I'm I'm trying to think of an example of like what would be a good uh, transferable thing, but um, but yeah, it's just different design challenges. So it was it was fun. And then going back to Republic Commando is like going back to my roots. You know, I I think I think. At my core, I will always be a a a narrative FPS person, and like I I would love to build those things. And so going back to Republic Commando was was pretty awesome. And I you know I did an RTS in between there too, which again I loved playing Age of Empires, and then jumping to design a Star Wars version of Age of Empires was like okay, it's cool, yeah, let's let's try that. We don't know how that'll work. How do like we have sort of definitions of kind of the units what you want? How do we transfer those into Star Wars units and have fun making up those units and the numbers we were we were using the age of empires like I, th I think it was a direct code or something so we had a pretty good sense of like this unit should have this many hit points and do this much damage and it was just kind of transferring the the sort of star wars version of that onto those numbers and, and to those units um, but yeah it was fun it, i i it, it was good to like stretch your design brain in different directions and and yeah, it's a lot of fun. Do Do you prefer working in like constraints such as with Halo or Star Wars, where obviously there's a, I'm sure there's like some sort of checklist that you have to meet with <laughs> anything. I don't know if it has to go through a lot of, uh, people or staff before something gets approved, as opposed yeah. to coming up with an original idea. It's so. It's a good question. I, there are definitely different challenges. I so early on. Early on at LucasArts, it was very frustrating to to deal with because we 
we had a universe that we understood. Well, when I say we, like collectively, the Star Wars people know what Star Wars is. But um, we were a licensee just like anybody else, even though we were still owned by George, we were we were technically a licensee. So we had to get everything approved. And um, so and it became extremely difficult around the time of Mysteries of the Sith, because, well, if you remember, um, so Jedi Knight 2 or Jedi Knight, sorry, Dark Forces Jedi Knight had lightsaber wielding enemies in it. Right. But when we started making Mysteries of the Sith, the same time George was starting to formulate what the prequels would be. And that meant he was coming up with what the Sith would become. And there can be only two and all those rules that he put in the prequels. So we got, so a lot of our stuff got shot down uh, because when, when you, did they, when did you they tell you a... why it got shut down though? No, which is extremely frustrating. Okay, so say... so George, so George had met, it come up with these ideas, and right. your ideas were shot down because they didn't correlate with what he'd said. Yeah. But they didn't tell you at the time. So how long did it take you before you found out? Was this long <laughs> after, or you just worked well, it so out on your own? We it, so it was it was a it was a it was a difficult turnaround process. I'll say so. We basically what you do as a licensee is you put together like a you know, like a design doc with um, here are the enemies we're going to use, here are the force powers we're going to use. If you're making up a new character, here's their backstory and all this stuff. So it goes to licensing. They have a team of people who look at it and they're like, you know, check stuff off or approve stuff, change this name or whatever, or this is already an existing planet or why don't you use this planet or whatever. So they make suggestions and things like that. But again, this was before, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff now that it, it was in the early days so licensing didn't really know so they would we would submit this thing this packet of information and they would just say no and you'd ask why and they would say just no right and so like we had all these jedi enemies that we had planned and they were just like no and it you know it it made sense later now because george had this rule of only two sith so and only i think it was like only jedi only only jedis can have lightsabers and there can be only two Sith. I think there was the rules that we were working with. And so all of our ideas got scrapped. And so that's where, that's where the Sith undead came from in, in Mysteries of the Sith is because we would start to, we, I think we actually threw them in as a joke. Uh, and they were like, okay, yeah, you cut the lightsabers, cut the Sith. Nobody can have lightsabers. Sith undead, sure, yeah, you can have those guys. And we were like, what? Okay, well, I guess that's our only enemy. We have Sith undead who can shoot force lightning at you. Um, so yeah, they never said... In those days, they never came up with suggestions or never gave us reasons why. They just said no. So you continually have to like keep submitting new drafts and new documents and until it gets that approval. That's like trying to get blood out of a stone, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. So we started a, we we started a, a imploring a tactic where we would we would fill it with crazy stuff that we knew they would reject. So hopefully the stuff that we wanted would slip through because they'd be too busy like rejecting a bunch of stuff and like the sith undead we're like they slipped that through okay well if we our next project if we ask for something like like completely out of this world they're like oh no you can't have that but you can have all these other things and it's like well we really wanted the other things so we started to like smile with licensing in that sense yeah yeah but i think nowadays uh leland chi like he's uh keeper of the holocron there he's one of the guys that i think uh, approves a lot of that stuff. He came from LucasArts. He was a tester, and uh, I've, so I've known him for 25 years or so. But he's—I I think he, him, and, and the team there. I'm not. Sh 
I'm not sure who was all responsible, but I know he's a part of that stuff. But like, they have a better understanding now of of how to make games and what's needed to make a game. Um, you know, so if you look at something like Outlaws or or a Dead or Survivor, like we have Cal Kestis, okay, Disney owning it, I think is uh, has made it easier to allow more flexibility in the universe. Um, so you so you get Cal Kestis, you get the I'm blanking on the the girl's name in Outlaws. Uh, the new character that they're, they're creating for Star Wars Outlaws, and you get all those other Jedi in the in the media experiences. So, it's it's become a lot easier to tell new stories, and I think they're actually responding with like, "Hey, you should try this," or "Hey, you should use this," rather than just a straight no. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. But you guys had Star Wars Episode One stuff trickling in while you were working on Rogue Squadron, right? You were getting oh, yeah, like little yeah. Easter eggs, it so was... you you were you obviously didn't know anything about the films, but you were able to piece stuff together as a result, I guess, like working out, oh well, this is going to be in it, or well, we did actually know a lot about the films because ah, oh. uh, so as Rogue Squadron was ramping up, and and um, Episode One started to become a thing, obviously we wanted to try to make a game you know, day and date with the, with the movie. And so me, uh, my project leader, Steve Shaw from Mysteries of the Sith. I think my friend Ryan Kaufman, there was a small group of us. And then there was like two groups because John Knowles, who was working on the bounty hunter game and our group was going to do an episode one game we had a we had a, a secret room at LucasArts, which was basically locked, and you had to get the key from, I think the, the president's assistant or something, who's the office was basically right across from her office, so she could monitor it. Yeah. Um, so there was a a list of people who could go in there. You couldn't take anything out of there, but it was wow. full of it. You know, they basically, they basically had binders like, uh, planets, characters, vehicles. So almost all the information, all the art that they generated, like, and there's, you know, you see some of those like making of episode one books. There's so much art from there. Like all the, it was Ian, Mc, Ian McKegg is, or I can't remember how to pronounce his name. The, one of the costume designers for like Padme's outfits, like he just had, you know, probably six or seven books full of concept sketches for Queen Abadala's dresses. Right. And it was just such an amazing thing. Uh, so there wasn't, when we first got that room, there wasn't a ton of context, but we could look at all these things. So we knew there was a, a we knew the planet Theed existed, and here's all the you know concepts from it, and here's the the Naboo starships, and you know, and and slow information slowly started trickling in. And then actually, we got to a few of us got to see rough cuts of the film, which were awesome. Um, again, there's still scenes. There were scenes shot in that rough, like the pod race. I think it was like it was like a long it was really long like it was, they had to cut it down but the original pod race I think they showed like every lap or something it's really crazy so we got to see a bunch of rough cuts along the way in preparation for what we were going to do after Rogue Squadron and, and make uh, Obi-Wan and so we had all that information coming in and uh and we had we got like super secret permission to put the Naboo fighter in uh, the game in Rogue Squadron. And so it was like time unlocked. Uh, and only like, I think only like three people knew about it. Like Mark knew about it. I knew about it. 
the president of Factor Five and and the the person who I think they the, I think the people at Factor Five modeled it and so like the modeler the engineer who put it in and time coded it Julian our president like, there's only a handful of people that knew it was actually in there and uh, so that was yeah and then, then like time unlocked when the movie came out it was like Nebu fighters in there so yeah that was pretty cool <laughs> wow. But, yeah. um, I mean, George was so good at, at world building. So, obviously, once oh, yeah. you're sta starting to get all this stuff that comes in with the prequels, I'm sure that must have created a germination of ideas in terms of different games you guys wanted to make from, oh, just, yeah. from, from that world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, I, I, I remember, um, it was funny, I, we, we used to pit, we, so we had, a, we had a, a process where we could pitch games, and... Uh, there was a name for it i can't remember it now but we would um basically there was like a group of project leaders and other executives and like every month they would hold like an open round table where people could um, come in and pitch ideas and ryan and i uh my buddy ryan kaufman when i would like pitch a whole bunch of ideas we pitched a i really wanted to make a darth maul game i think everybody wanted to make a darth maul game um but yeah there was a ton of ideas that came out of that and the original pitch for Obi-Wan, uh, looking back on it, because I, I still have some design docs, so I keep looking over here because like, I, I have a row of um, all my old design docs from like Outlaws and Rogue Squadron and stuff, so I kept wow. them all. But um, let me hold on one second. Let's see if I can pull out the... Oh, yeah. This is the original design doc for um, Tannis is what it was called. Uh, that was that was Obi Wan, and well, wow, that's a I big was... doc. That's a oh, big yeah. document. Yeah, yeah, it's huge, and it's like, yeah, I think. So was well, this that is solely all... was that that wasn't solely you that made that document, is it? No, this was a, this is a, a a ton of people who put it yeah, together. Yeah. Well, the, okay. the uh, I should say the uh, design part of it, which was, if I can hold this up, this was the original design doc. <laughs> it's hard to see. <laughs> Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, so that was, you know, that's a, that's like sixty pages. That was that was me and Steve and Ryan put that together. Is and that, that was is that archived somewhere or just there? Like, uh, just in my office. <laughs> really? So it's not yeah, scanned yeah. somewhere? Because what happens if like your house touch wood like went up in flames, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, lose... So I, I, there is. Uh, I'm in contact with a former LucasArts employee who's. Um, I've been scanning some of this and sending it to him and he's keeping an archive of it. I kept thinking about sending it to like a video game museum or something. Uh, like I just pulled out a, um, I have a, another thing, which is a, an E3 reel from 2012. Oh, sorry. uh, it, yeah, Luke starts 2012, uh, or no, sorry. Lucas starts E3 reel 2002. 2002. Sorry, that's when yeah, yeah. yeah. Total running time, 15 minutes. Um, and I, I just tweeted out, that I like, oh, and now I need to find a VCR because I don't, I, I don't have a VCR anymore, <laughs> so I don't even know what's on it. Um, and somebody, uh, a coworker of mine, David Ellis at three four three, he, he quote tweeted it with somebody else who was like doing a, who has like an archive project who's archiving old E three footage, and so I was going to contact him to be like, yeah, I can, I can, I guess I can mail that to you, and you can like digitize it and put it up on your YouTube channel or something. So, yeah, I've thought about archiving and. and doing it some i've got a whole bunch of stuff that that like from my years at lucas arts um yeah but that so 
so that was a crazy tangent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. Anyway, yeah, keep yeah. Going. yeah. Uh, so that original, so we were talking about ideas coming from episode one. So that original document, um, like looking back on it now, is like there was no way we would have made this game. It was probably around fifty levels. Uh, it was. We knew Obi Wan and Qui Gon were in the movie, and they were spending most of the movie together. Um, but the original pitch was that from the beginning, you would choose which character you wanted to play and you would follow their paths. And there were some levels that they were uh, like in the beginning of they're on the Federation ship. They were they would be in that area together and they would fight. Um, but like the next level was on the Trade Federation ship. And so we had two different experiences as it went to the planet Naboo. And then in the swamp, it was two different experiences. And then so it was this huge thing. And then we had all these, um, we took a page out of Outlaws. We did these historical missions in Outlaws. So we had historical missions because uh, like we were talking about the Jedi Council and how cool that council was and that we would build that chamber and have all those Jedis and you would go in and you would talk to those Jedis and they would like recount uh, tales of your exploits as you were training Obi-Wan. You'd play as Qui-Gon and you were training Obi-Wan and these historical missions would be like, uh, you know, Padawan learning missions. So they, you know, we went to like a, a a freighter that was like crashed in the ocean with dignitaries on board. And so you had to go in there. There was like a some kind of alien shuttle that was attached to it. So you had to get in the water and swim through a little bit of stuff and then rescue these, uh, you know, diplomats or whatever. So we had a whole series of like historical missions that were about your training and uh, the Jedi Council and the Jedi Way, and which could have been a whole separate game to itself. Well, now that I think about it, so like it was, we had so many ideas coming out of Episode One, out of that Episode One room, and just talking about what kind of stuff we wanted to do. And um, yeah, there was just a, a his world building, and and there was just so much excitement about all the stuff that we could do out of that out of that movie. It was mm. a lot of fun. Yeah, I know. Like with Halo, you worked on both the campaign and multiplayer. Is there a, a little? Yeah, yeah, I didn't do a lot. I didn't do a ton of multiplayer. Um, I did a lot of uh, Halo 5 sustain, so I did some multiplayer after 5 shipped to sustain that, but most of it was was single-player campaign stuff. Do you have the shift in terms of the, the thinking and or the design philosophy when you're designing for multiplayer versus campaign, or is it just very similar oh, yeah, in it, terms of the approach? Well, for me, it's completely different. Um like you know the level design for one in in most i'm I'm grossly oversimplifying it but multiplayer maps are usually symmetrical um and you know you try to have like three lanes of approach as as you're as you're you know attacking the other team uh that when you're when you're doing a linear experience well so four and five were more linear and, and infinite was more open so again there's difference between those kind of single player experiences but with four and five you're crafting more of a linear experience and there are points where you want to pinch the player into one and you do sometimes want to do that in multiplayer maps too but uh for like a contentious point or something but a lot of times it's more craft and control of the enemy and players movement towards each other and creating spaces where uh you know good encounters and it, you have a better understanding of what weapons the player will have at a certain point because you can place those on the map again there are there are analogies to multiplayer but there's a little bit more i think precise control over that kind of stuff um 
you know, like uh, Halo is all a lot of times about risk or reward. You offer the 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 path with like twenty grunts, but two of them have fuel rod cannons, or you know, the other path with like a couple of elites and a couple grunts, which is they're they're kind of they're different encounters, and you know, you could get killed really easy by the grunt with a fuel rod cannon. But if you manage to get him, you get the fuel rod cannon. So there's a risk reward there. And there's so there's different paths with different experiences that you want to take with those things. Again, it's very, it's very a very muddled down, very, you know, simplified approach to how you do that. But there's a there's a big difference there in how you create those. How did you get into writing narratives though? Did you like did you always <laughs> want to be a writer? No, no, not <laughs> <laughs> it was it was more born out of complete necessity. Um like in Outlaws, it was it was just like we needed we needed barks. I didn't really write a ton of the story on that one. Um, Steve Shaw wrote a lot of that, and and uh, Darren Stinnett wrote some of that. Um, with with Mysteries of the Sith, uh, and I just I saw somebody had somebody just posted something the other day about a retrospective looking back at the differences between Jedi Knight and Mysteries of the Sith, and I was like, oh, it's crazy to see that stuff twenty five years later, but. Um, Jedi Knight had uh, live action cutscenes. For Mysteries of the Sith, we had no budget for any of that stuff, but we wanted a story to tell. And so, like on a on a whim, I started messing around with our programming language and setting up little scenes, in game scenes, and like controlling the character and having them walk and do all sorts of things. And my project leader Steve Shaw saw that Steve Shaw saw that and was like, "Hey, like, can you?" do more of that and clean it up and like we'll add some rough vo and try to figure out how to do this and like make these into real cutscenes. and I, we were like i was like okay so ryan my friend ryan kaufman uh he's a he's a vp of narrative and so i i would <laughs> i would write stuff and then and his i think his background was creative writing uh and so i would write stuff and kind of give it to him and he would make it Star Wars-y and better. <laughs> uh, so I would provide like the rough narrative. Some of my stuff made it through. Some of it was okay. But most of my stuff was like just to get the feel for it. And and so and so doing those cutscenes with Mysteries of the Sith was like, okay, we got to do a bunch of them to fill in the gameplay. And so I wrote all that stuff. And again, I'd say about half of it is how I wrote it. The other half is, is Star Wordified by Ryan. Um, and then with Rogue Squadron, it was just like, yeah, Ryan and I did the same thing. We would a lot of times. So we were, uh, we were, gosh, I, again, I think it was for Maya. We were taking a course at a community college to learn Maya and in the evenings. So we would drive, uh, we would drive this Route 37 in, in Northern California. It was actually where the name K-San Moore came from. Because we would, the only radio station we could get with K, was KSAN 107. So that's where KSAN. And then the road past something was called like Moore Road, like M O. So we're like, KSAN Moore, that's her name. Okay. We, so we, but in the car, we would, we would like workshop lines and story ideas. And, and we, we, we would come up with a story and the dialogue for what would happen in Rose Rodern in the car. And he would write it down while I was driving. And we would just like, that's kind of where all that narrative came from. And we'd get back and like he would write it into you know script format and then so yeah it was it was really just born out of necessity i'm i'm not a great writer <laughs> i can uh so i kind of and so for all the time there i would uh ryan was ryan was a great partner design partner because i would like i said i would just write the the rough 
words to get the feel for it and then he would translate that into better sounding stuff and star warsy stuff and so he he was excellent at that he did uh he ended up doing all that for like republic commando he pretty much rewrote the whole script for that and he worked with karen travis on the novelization to get all that stuff because he was so close to the narrative on that and um helped her find the voice for the clones and yeah he did great work for the script on all that stuff so yeah i narrative narrative's not my strong suit it was totally out of necessity but i will take the credit for it <laughs> it makes me wonder if chat gpt is going to rob people of being able to collaborate more and naturally building that narrative you know because you can just type something in chat gpt now and i'm not sure if you've used yeah. it no i i've i've been avoiding it just because i don't I it, it doesn't seem fair like I I I wouldn't want to I don't I don't know maybe maybe there's a there's a it's it's a it's a it's a it's an interesting it's a very topic much a gray, because gray area I feel yeah yeah because it and can I, so be used I, as a tool but right. you know you can use it as a, a almost like plagiarism and it's almost it's, yeah. it's like faking faking being a writer so to speak yeah and i think if i was if i was maybe starting out and an independent developer and i needed to create a ton of dialogue for something maybe i'd use it as a base and then and then give it to a writer to like make a real thing but then credit that writer for that like i had a like ryan was a great partner he was a great designer he he also made levels and did all the all the same stuff we did too but he just had that background in writing and that kind of became his passion and that's the direction he went but i i had a partner in him so i didn't have to resort to anything like i mean maybe he was my chat gpt i don't i don't know but um but yeah so i i was in a situation where i didn't need that but i i don't yeah it's i i understand where where you know the writer strike and all the other stuff it, like it's hugely important so many legal issues so many gray areas I don't want to see artists and designers get robbed of any kind of credit that they do, you know, and, and I just see this as a, as an excuse to do exactly that. Right. And, and rob people of, of it again. The other thing too, is like fundamentally the AI is being used for stuff that like people enjoy doing, like people love creating art and people love writing give me AI that'll clean my toilet or go clean my yard. You know what I mean? Like where are the robots that are supposed to carry my luggage? I don't, I don't need AI and stuff to, to, to rob me of, of stuff that I enjoy doing, you know, like I, I don't understand why the, the rush to replace true talented artists is. Well, is it, it it's, it's about cutting corners, isn't it? It's trying to, I don't know if it's the work smarter, not harder mentality or just trying to make things easier. But then sometimes by trying to make things easier, you end up creating a domino effect of all these other problems. But yeah, um, I, 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 again, I could, I can see the, you can kind of see the trail of cutting corners, but like, you know, I, is it, is it really what you need? Is it how much, how much are you saving and how much, I don't know. I, I I don't see the benefit right now, so it's it's hard. I just see the the turmoil and 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 confusion it's creating, and it's like okay, we need to take a step back and like really decide if it's cutting corners is cutting those kind of corners is really worth it. 
Yeah. You mentioned uh, on Twitter a while ago that uh, the industry needs to vet more in terms of its leadership. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, yeah. I mean, it, there there was a lot of discussion when uh, you know we got laid off at three four three. Some people spoke out about leadership, and I think it's like it's kind of like we were talking about with Mark, right? I there's and the way that we promoted leaders at LucasArts was they had a real understanding of uh, everything that was involved. They, they had sort of already proven themselves in an, in a creative environment and uh, you know, already had the trust and respect of their peers. And so when those those individuals were made into leaders it was accepted and and understood and then they also let go some of their their previous you know you promote an artist or a designer into a leadership role well they can't do art or lead and or do design anymore well i mean you can a little bit but not like ic level art and design work so you but need to be understand the fundamentals that of that stuff which would help yeah, yeah. be utilized yeah. in a leadership position as opposed to someone who's just in a suit that's just right, thinking right. of this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, I there's it's it's one of those discussions and and we were talking about this before we started recording that I think our industry and I think okay, we were talking about this. I, I don't know if there's an industry at all that does a good job of publicly uh, explaining or or uh, transparency in difficulty in producing a product. Um, you know, like uh, there's a lot of different stories out there about how games are made, and usually those are given by individuals who have a a, a, a unique take on how a product got made and if you ask i'm sure every every product i'm sure every video game has stories of of problems that happen but we don't as an industry oh, yeah. yeah yeah but we don't as an industry discuss any of that stuff like i could there there are probably a day's worth of gdc talks that 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 the people that you know that i could do about my his my my history of in the industry about you know successes and failures but it's hard to talk about those failures you know it, there's there's some people who are aren't going to look good out of that and and like there's no there's no good way to do that there's no good way to like you have to be very careful about the pitfalls that and the and the failures that you encountered and how those things happened um because we just don't expose that about any pitfall that any game yeah. suffers it's not the result of one individual right It'll yeah be yeah multiple individuals and it can be there can be a number of reasons as to why right right but i suppose the thing is i mean even if it's not talked about is it talked about internally is it acknowledged internally so you can because you can't fix something you don't acknowledge right but, right but if you, you just yeah. sweep it under the rug is it actually fixed at all internally? That's, uh, I suppose, the thing that I'm more interested <laughs> Some, in, even sometimes. if nobody else knows about it. Yeah, it, sometimes it is. Uh, a any 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 project should do a post mortem at the end of that project. 
and um and and basically what that is 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 how you structure it could be different from any company but you should get everybody who was involved in the making of that product and you know have a couple different sections to it and say like according to your speciality mine being you know we'll take halo infinite uh, in the last project uh like encounter design and design what were the difficulties what were your failures and successes in that particular field right and you could you know you know like identifying or, or like we did a you know we we at the, very early on we did like a strike team and kind of redefined what the elite was going to be and so it was me i led a strike team with a a tech designer, an animator, and we kind of made a, a an in-game video of a of like a run a, a sample combat experience with all these new behaviors for the elite, and like that was awesome, and it was something we were allowed to do. Like we uh, very like I said, it was very early on. Um, we we took like I think like a month to do it, and just threw out these crazy ideas, and we're like, you know, so it was just, it was like a eight minute video with probably a dozen different new behaviors. And then we like showed that off to a bunch of people and we're like, okay, we're going to take this and make that real, take this and make that real. So that was like a huge success. That was awesome. So it was one of the things I would say is a, is a big success. And then, uh, you know, and then you, then you detail out the, the failures or the struggles that you had. Like we had a lot of, uh, you know, the, the tool wasn't the, the best when we, um, you know, it'd break down a lot and we'd have, we'd spend a lot of time, not being able to produce anything because uh you know the the tool would crash or something and so it was like you detail that and be like you know how many hours did i you know spend not producing because the the tool was broken and then you would you you take a you know an assessment of like overall from from the whole project standpoint where were the successes and failures so you, you would you should collect all that data and then sort of bubble all that stuff up and you might find trends in there um, I know that the tool was a was a point of contention for a lot of artists as well, and like you know they had trouble producing. So it's like okay, well, we take these these points that kept bubbling up, and okay, we're going to focus on fixing the tool for the next project. So a lot of times those things are discussed internally, and then you you just but again it takes good mo movement, good leadership to to act on all those things and and really commit to investing in those changes, which some. Some people do and some people don't. Mm. But do, do leaders, I suppose, do they recognize their own faults as well? Uh, I've worked with some who have and some who haven't. Again, I, I'll use Mark as an example. He knew one of the reasons he came to me was because I was a Star Wars nerd. And, and uh, you know, like he was like, I'd, and he flat out said, he was like, I don't, I don't really know. I don't, I don't really know how to, how to apply this to star Wars. You do just do it. Right. And, and okay. He gave me pretty much free reign to design that game. Uh, it's just, like in a star Wars fashion, he was like, I still want to do an attack mission, defend mission. And then I would kind of work with him on all that stuff, but he knew exactly what he didn't know. And, uh, he, and I wouldn't say that was necessarily a failure. Um, but then there were other points in the project where, like, again, I, I think I talked about this in the beginning. There were other points in the project where we would, we would encounter difficulties, and he'd be like, "Okay, this just isn't working. We got to go a different way." And we just, and I think that was that was a product of just the 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 immediacy that we had to produce this game that we just had to go and just 
keep going and no matter it failed okay keep going it failed yep keep going it's success yep keep going so it was just like and and everybody knew that that's just how we had to get that game done um uh, but that's game design in a nutshell right you fail you, then you look at something else and then you might succeed with it right it's yeah yeah most it's of never the time. smooth it's never smooth sailing I yeah suppose, all it, the way it, to the finish <laughs> it, it is it is it is yeah it is that in a nutshell and it's just basically how you how you you know handle that how you manage that that sort of chaotic process yeah some people manage it better than than others so and it's mm. tough you know it's like admitting uh, you know i've been a lead myself and admitting my mistakes or like i don't I, I i'm not a huge fan of confrontation and so when i had to have uh you know serious talks about either people's output or you know people's designs just weren't up to snuff like those are things that that i i was previously really uncomfortable with and i i think that's for a lot of people people don't like confrontation and it's hard to sit in a room face to face and be like you're not cutting it you need to do this um so that was a huge like lesson for me to learn personally in leadership and so you know it's a it's a it's a growing process and game design is always changing and so the challenges are always different and so finding a leader who knows how to tackle every problem is you know probably finding a unicorn so you're always going to have struggles and how to manage different things so yeah it's it's always growing and and always changing do you think that's the most vital thing to making a game good is just that whole pipeline working cohesively from the top down do you think yeah, that's the I, I, most important factor? I, I've changed. Yeah, yeah. I, I do. I think it, well, it may not. It probably, yeah, I'm trying to think. Yeah, maybe it is the most important factor. I used to, I used to talk about how, like, it, it wasn't really uh, the product I was making, but it was the people I was making it with. Um. And I think, and it's I think it's evident in in games that that are hugely successful. And again, if you look at um, Breath of the Wild versus Tears of the Kingdom, I think most of that team is the same. And not only is there yeah. a benefit to keeping, you know, you you have a good team who made a great product, and then understands the tools, and you keep those people happy and around. So that when it comes time to make the next game, they already know what they're doing, and so they can hit the ground running again. And you know, we had a little bit of that on between Halo Four or Five and Infinite. We had a lot of turnover, and I, you know, it's natural because people want to spread their wings and go to different things. But you could, from the people that I knew from Four all the way to Infinite, we had a different rapport than new people that we brought on. It was, you know, I, I, I knew how to communicate with people i knew uh you know if i wanted something i knew how to get it that sounds you know it sounds uh, bad but like i i just i knew how to interact with people i knew how to approach situations i knew how to request design features because there was an engineer that i that i had worked with in the past and and we had similar language right similar verbiage that we that we communicated and that's well the, you know that's just how we got those things done i, I there was a there's a specific incident with a 
a new engineer that we brought on board from a different company who used totally different term. We, we used the same terms like vector or sector, but at his previous job, they mean something completely different. So I was paired with him to create a tool. And when we would talk about stuff, I would be saying terminology that he completely misinterpreted, not through any fault of his own, right? It just because we were coming from different languages. And it was this huge like point of contention until I realized it. And then we were like, and we and then we like talked about it. And we're like, okay. And then when all that went away, we we're like, okay, now I know how to talk to you. Now I now we can go ahead and produce this thing. So that yeah, there's a lot of like growth and learning that you have with new people. Um and, and like look at, at Republic Commando, we all thought that we were gonna do a sequel. And that's why we ended it. We ended it with a cliffhanger, assuming that we would make a sequel, but halfway through that project, you know, they were like, Oh, we're gonna lay you off when it's done. Um did they actually so tell ever... you that? Yeah, yeah. They they uh so it was I forget what was going on. There was some like there was a there was a big shakeup and they basically said if you stay on, you can you can continue to finish Republic Commando, but uh you'll be laid off when it's over. Wouldn't so, that kill that, morale though? Wouldn't your energy it just was... dip? <laughs> As a result so, of that, me, yeah, like, yeah. I wouldn't think. Uh, I mean, it, it doesn't was, seem like a smart business to tell people you're going to lay them off it, at a certain time and then expect them to keep the same morale and energy for that product. Yeah, I, I, I so like I don't know, maybe I'm been, missing something. So having been laid off like three times, it was probably the best one because I knew I had my shelf date right. I knew when I was going to end on that i knew i knew when my time at lucasarts was going to end because that was when we were going to ship so i had time to prepare i had time to look had time to beef up my resume do all the things you need to prepare but yes at the same time it was like i was leading a group of designers who were all facing their own shelf life so i i i basically had to scrap all my ic duties on that project because not only did it did I have to help navigate people through their levels, but it was like, okay, I have somebody who's looking at moving out of state who's never moved before. I have somebody who's never had another job outside of LucasArts before. So I had to like help people with life decisions. Wow. Uh, as well as like getting a job done. And uh we kind of used the um we kind of used the layoff as like a as like a fire, like lighting a fire under us, because like let's kind of show them what they're missing, you know what I mean? Like Oh, let's, let's yeah, put yeah. out this let's put out this awesome game and then really like show them that like you should have kept us around and make number two because this game's gonna be awesome uh but yeah it was it was extremely tough to keep morale up on that that game uh but we did a, i think we did a good job and yeah hmm yep it was an well, interesting time <laughs> well hey um i'll wrap up there I'll let you spend some time with your family um <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so yeah. if people want to keep up to date with you is there any place in particular they can go to keep, with, uh, keep up to date with you, social I, media, I'm, or I'm on everything. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I Twitter's kind of becoming a wasteland it, these days. Twitter I'm, X, whatever. Yeah. I, I refuse to call it that other thing. I'll call it Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm still on Twitter a lot. Uh, I've 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 started the Threads thing. Uh, I think I'm just I can't even remember what it is over there. I think it's just Kevin is that Schmidt. good? I haven't tried that yet. I haven't posted there yet just because it's um it's I think it's still in its sort of infancy stage. Mm. Uh and and yeah, Twitter 
yeah, I, I yeah, but I'm on LinkedIn, Kevin Schmidt on LinkedIn, um, and I think I think it's Kevin Schmidt on Twitter too, uh, on Facebook. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, I, any of those things. I like I said, Twitter's probably the main one. I could still, I think I have my DMs open. I'm still, I still check it until it until it doesn't exist anymore. We'll see what yeah. happens. Mm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, hey, Kevin, I appreciate you taking time out. Uh, yeah, thank you. That is the show, everyone. Make sure you share, like, and subscribe. And until next time, stay safe.